Father, we, uh, some of us may not feel like, we don't feel like you, you are here, but we believe that you are. And we ask that you would uh, speak to us your words of life. Uh, show us from your word uh, how we are to live so that we can please you. Um, and we ask that you would encourage us, give us strength uh, for the journey that you want us to take. And we pray it trusting in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. What do you expect of a pastor? That's a, that's a dangerous question for me to ask, right? What do you expect? I mean, if we gave you like a, like a legal pad and just said, write down what you expect of a pastor. A lot of things would race through our minds. Maybe for some of us, not much would race through our minds. I don't, I don't know. Um, but, but the Bible's pretty clear that there's one thing that a pastor must do, and it must be protected even at the cost of everything else. I mean, this one thing needs to be protected, not compromised, paid attention to, done well, even if it means t- putting th- other things off, uh, taking other things off the plate. Now, if some of you are, are selfish human beings like I am, I'd be sitting there in the pew and going, what, what does this have to do with me? How do you- pastor's going to preach to himself about pastoral expectations, has everything to do with you. In fact, I'll say this, uh, your view of the pastor's role in church directly affects your view of your own role at church. You, You can't separate the two. Your view of the pastor's role directly affects your view of your role. If you've got a bad view, an unbiblical view of the pastor's role, you'll have a poor, unbiblical view of your own role. So with that in mind, I want to turn you to our passage for the day. It's Acts chapter 6. As we move through this book, I mean, we're just kind of hit left and right with, look, this is how the church was. This is how they unfolded. After Jesus ascended, he charged them to go be his witnesses, and they did, and people started coming to Christ, and you have thousands of people getting baptized, and and, and they're trying to organize a church, and they were such radical givers. I mean, they, they shared everything. Everything that they owned, they didn't consider it their own. They considered it like community sharing. Everybody can share everybody's stuff. And then some of the stuff that they owned, they just straight up sold it and gave that, gave, took that money and put it at the apostles' feet. And just said, here, whoever needs it, whoever needs it, here you go. I have an extra pop property, you know, down, down the street. I, I sold it, here you go, just... Just do that. And this radical culture of giving, and as the church is growing, they have to figure out how do we handle all these people, all this money, all this giving, all the needs, all the people that have uh, afflictions and, and pain. And one of, the, one of those groups were the widows. You know, the widows didn't have, the, 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 in that society, they, they, they weren't educated. They the men did the work, and the, the man's gone from the home. The kids are too small to do anything. They, they have nothing. And so throughout the Bible, there's this emphasis on orphans and widows. These are people you need to get behind. Guys, you need to get behind. You need to help them. And so they took all this money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it's like, look, we have widows. They need help. Let's help them. And they distributed it. But they ran into a problem, partly because they were growing so fast. And look at the problem they ran into. Acts chapter 6, 
uh, verse 1. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists. Now the Hellenists are they're Jews, but they're the Greek-speaking Jews. They kind of like, maybe some of you, you grew up speaking German, and then, but where do you live? You don't live in Germany, you adopted English. Now that's maybe even your more dominant language. Okay, so the Hellenists were Jews that spoke Greek. Uh, those were the Hellenist Jews. Now look, a complaint by them arose against the Hebrews, the, the Jewish-speaking Jewish widows, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So they had this big pot of money that was laid at, at, the, at the apostles' feet, and things were getting distributed, uh, but not distributed evenly. Uh, it was like to the Jew-speaking Jews first, and then the Greek-speaking Jews, you'll just see if there's anything left over. It was pretty messed up. Um, so that was a problem. And so in verse 2, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So you have this church. They have a problem, and it's a it's an actual problem. You know, starving widows aren't getting fed. I would say that's a problem. This isn't a roof leak. This is an issue um, that involves people's health, people's lives. And so they brought it to the apostles. Hey, everything was laid at the apostles' feet up until this point. The money was brought to them. I mean, everything. This you guys are the guys. You guys are the pastors. You guys are the elders, the apostles. You guys are the ones that spent time with Jesus. You know what to do. And then their response was, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Um, you know, when I read that line and I think, what if I were to say that? What if a typical pastor today were to respond that way and say, Pastor, can you do this? Hey, I'm not going to give up preaching or go do that. You do that. I'm a preacher. It just sounds so highbrow and so like I'm above everything else. All I do is preach. Everything else, everybody else do it. I'm going to do just preaching. It just sounds arrogant. Uh, but here you have the apostles um, speaking authoritatively and saying, it's, it's not that we don't like serving tables. It's not that we don't think serving tables is important. It's that it's not right that that should rob sermon prep. The ministry of the word of God. Whatever they were doing to proclaim the word of God in small groups, in large groups, in the temples, teaching the word of God, going back, studying the scrolls, making sure they understand the passage correctly, and then proclaiming, going back in their groups. Remember what Jesus said? Didn't he say this? Yeah, you're right. And then preaching that. All the work that went into proclaiming the word of God and the ministry of the word of God, they said, if we start figuring out how to distribute the need, the, the, the goods to the widows evenly, it's going to compromise our time spent on the ministry of the word of God. And it's not that we don't favor doing that. It's not like because we're so gifted in this, let's let somebody else with another kind of gifting do that. It wasn't gifting based. It was that the ministry of the Word of God has to be in the middle, has to be at the center, has to be first. And it is not right. Okay, It is wrong for the apostles to compromise that to do something else like serve tables. And it's not because serving tables is, is below them. It's some menial task. This was an important enough task that it was brought to the apostles. Um, so it looks like, I don't know, laziness. 
or like an arrogance. But the reasoning is neither of those. The reasoning is because it's not right. Um, after the apostles, you know, you have these 12 apostles and, and the apostles elected elders in the churches. Okay, Elder, pastor, overseer, shepherd, bishop, those are all synonyms. Right? We know what synonyms are, right? It's not a spice. Okay? Synonym is just words that mean the same thing. Okay, a bug, an insect, a chair, a seat. I don't know. There's there's multiple words to say for the same thing. The Bible uses these terms interchangeably. Pastor, teacher, overseer, shepherd, bishop. It all means the same thing. The apostles put elders in the cities to lead the churches. So after the apostles, the, the apostles gave that ministry of the word to the elders. That's why Paul kept telling Timothy, you've got to preach to protect sound doctrine. When you recruit elders, make sure they're able to teach. Why? Because the elder, the overseer, is, is, in, is in line with what the apostles were originally given as their job. Now, the apostles wrote scripture. Elders teach it. They're, they're, you know, there's, there's something different about them. They spent time with Jesus. They were eyewitnesses. And, and there's something special about the apostolic position, but they passed that ministry of the word to elders. What's my point? My point is that this, is, this ties directly to the pastor today. You know, the pastor has a responsibility to, to be a minister of the word. Um, as a church grows and its ministries multiply, there's two options. Option A is uh, that the pastor, do, dump everything on the pastor. The pastor does everything church-related. I mean, he's the one that went to seminary. He's the one that we, we pay him. You know, what else is he doing? And it's, get out there and do it. Um, do, do everything church-related. Uh, that, that's, that's one option. And when it's too much for one guy to handle, what do we do? What do we do? Hire another pastor. Then you've got the executive pastor, the pastor of administration, the pastor of children, the pastor of youth, the pastor of teaching, the pastor of leading, the pastor of meetings, the pastor of business, the pastor of carpet. I mean, why do we do this? Because, hey, I want to come to church, put my money in a pot, and you do everything. And when you can't do everything, we hire a second guy and a third and a fourth. And we just let's just keep hiring people. But the model that we see here, I think, would challenge that. Um, let, let's consider that option A for a minute. The pastor does the pastor does the stuff that that needs to be done in the church. If it needs to be done, the pastor needs to do it. He's the in-house guy. He's the guy that he's the go-to guy. He's the guy in charge. He's the trained one, the called one, the paid one. Um, the first thing we see here with this passage, the reason why they didn't want to go that route with option A is because it detracts from the ministry of the word. Now, I, ha I have to just spend a couple of minutes here because, I, you know, so much of the task of preaching happens behind closed doors that it's like, okay, on Sunday he takes 40 minutes to preach. How, you know, <laughs> what else does he do? You know, I've heard that too. What, what does a pastor do all day? I, sermons, for example, take time. Okay, now I, I gotta admit this is a little bit awkward, right? Because I'm 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 talking to you about what I do, but it's this just open transparency. I think you guys need to know what I'm doing. All right, sermons take time. All right, for me, the point I am right now, um, many like seminary professors will say it takes 20 hours. 
20 hours for one sermon. Okay? And I look back, and you remember the old school? The pastor had Wednesday night sermon, Sunday morning sermon, Sunday night sermon. Hey, <laughs> to be thankful that we don't do that here because I blame. Like, I don't know how much else I'm doing, you know. Uh, I, I'm at a point now it takes about 15. 20, 20. It, sometimes, it, depending on the topic, if it's a special kind of topic, and I'm like, you know what, I, it's just, this is just hitting on a particular topic where I just have to do extra research. I'll go to like Wheaton Library or something, and I'll spend many more hours on that the sermon um, just trying to research the topic in general. Um, but most of the time, about 15 is pretty much like the average. Okay, you're starting with with the original passage. If you understand Greek and Hebrew, you're trying to get into that a little bit. Um, if if you're listening to a song in Spanish, and you can ask your Spanish-speaking friend, what did he just say? And that's great. But if you know Spanish, it's good to just get to the lyrics on your own. And, the, and, and pastors that have the privilege of being trained to use the tools... Uh, start there. Say, we're, I mean, we're starting way back, you know, then go to some translations and then go to what does it mean and then end up in application and then end up, here's what you should do. Uh, about 15 hours from desk to delivery. Um, one time a guy told me he was complaining about some pastor that I, I, I don't remember exactly the situation. They wanted to hire this guy, but they didn't like him or something. I, I forget what it was. It wasn't this church somewhere else. And the guy was complaining about the pastor said, you know, how much time it takes him. And he said, you know what, if it takes you 20 hours to prepare a sermon, that's your fault. And I, I, I didn't, I wasn't bold enough, but I wanted to ask him, have you ever prepared a sermon? And if he said yes, I wanted to ask him, and how to go? Um, I, I encourage you guys, if you know other pastors, ask them. Ask them, what, what's the going average I think if it's a good preacher, it's, it's, it's going to be somewhere around that. Um, um, I think that the, the trouble is that, you know, 90% or more of the work of preaching is done behind closed doors. So when you guys are at work, your workplace, you're punching in, you're doing your thing, and pastor's at home, I don't know, playing playing video games with his kids or something. Who knows what he's doing? I don't know, but on Sunday he preaches, you know. I, I'm not freestyling this. It's it's the other 90% of work that was done behind closed doors. Um, there was a survey that the, the Southern Baptist Convention, a, a Baptist denomination, uh, Southern Baptist Convention, they did a survey of over 1,000 pastors. And it said, they said this, the median number of hours full-time senior pastors work for their churches each week is 55 hours, with 42% working 60 or more hours. That's everything. That's visitations, meetings, phone calls, emails, coming to the church, setting up, whatever. Everything they do, uh, 55 to 60 hours or more. Um, so the question is, what, what, what does the pastor do anyway? Well, that's, treat me to lunch and I'll tell you. You know, <laughs> I'll take you. I'll walk you through the weekly grind, um, but but that's there. And and at the, at the core of it all, at the core of it all, uh, is this ministry of the word. I mean, this is this is this is what the pastor does. I mean, this is the main. When you think pastor, the first thing at the top of that pad should be the ministry of the word of God. 
And that's, that's, that's so essential that they said, you know, we're not doing that. We're not doing that because if I did that, it would compromise my time in the ministry of the Word of God. And look at the next line. This is, he says, the twelve summoned the number of the disciples and said, it's not right, it's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. I mean, they weren't like, <laughs> hello, if it takes you 20 hours, that's your fault, Paul. Well, at this point, it wasn't Paul. Peter, you know, James, if it takes you 20 hours, it's your fault. Uh, they were like, you know what, that's true. And it pleases us to free you to do your job so that you can do it well. It pleased them. So I think that they, they, had, they, had, they were on the same page of how crucial it was that the ministry of the Word of God happened and was done well. Um, that survey I mentioned goes on to indicate that uh, one of the most salient upfront problems found with the pastors that were surveyed was that many of the pastors found it difficult to spend time with their families. Listen to this. 10% of the pastors spent nine hours or less a week with their wives and children. Now, one of the qualifications for the elders is rule your household well. If you don't have your house in order, how can you pastor the church? Family time is crucial. But there, there's the expectation and the onslaught of, you know, I don't know what you're doing behind closed doors, but you didn't do this thing. And this little thing that matters to me, and I don't know why you didn't do it. You must not care. And so pastors feel the pressure of, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. I've got to take all the calls, do all the visits, take response to every single email, and do every single thing that I can so that nobody, so no one is going to accuse me of being some kind of lazy pastor. And what happens, their family comes second. And it's dangerous. Um, they don't want to compromise the ministry of the word. Sundays are coming. You know? One of the things with the, the professors at Gordon-Conwell, and they're like, here's how we want you to preach and we want you to do and I looked at some of the other students, I'm like, have these guys ever done it every Sunday? I just, did they do that much work every Sunday? Now, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to escape work. I want to do the work. But Sunday's every week, y'all. Sunday's every week, right? This, it comes. And, uh, that's pressure. And on top of that, family. And on top of that, the other things that have to happen. So I, when I read this passage with my pastor glasses, I'm like, I, I totally see what they're talking about. Now, I can see on the other side how, how, how I might say, why, why wouldn't you do that? You know, the sermon only takes 40 minutes on a Sunday. So, I mean, so, but on the other side, showing it to you, I think, helps you get an insight into when we talk about the ministry of the Word, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about sermon prep, Bible study prep, pre prepping the question for the, for the small groups, things like that. Ministry of, of the Word. When I go on visits, I, I, don't, just, I don't just jump in there. I, try, I think of a passage that I'm going to read to the person to encourage them. That's, that's ministry of the word. I'm trying to think what's going to apply. What's going to apply to the situation? What do I say? Sometimes I don't even, I can't, I don't even say anything. What do I say in this ridiculous situation? Let me just read a passage. That's the ministry of the word. So the ministry of the word can't be like one of the many spokes in the wheel of church. The ministry of the word has to be the center. Everything else is spokes. That the ministry of the word is in the middle. 
So why should the lot be plowed? So that we can get in here. For what? For this. You know, why paint colors downstairs? To attract the kids, get the kids' attention, get them excited, get them involved. For what? The Word of God. You know, it's the center. It's the middle. That can't be compromised for anything. Um, again, I just want to iterate. It's not, it's not that the pastor's above menial tasks. You know, something, but the pastor's too good for stuff. It's not that. It's just that it's not right to compromise the ministry of the word. I know pastors that I think sometimes compromise the ministry of the word just because it's not their favorite thing. Their favorite thing is to serve tables. And I, I, I talked to one guy and I'm like, hey, man, it may not be your favorite thing, but as long as you're a pastor, you need to teach the word of God. And you need to do it well. That means you need to spend time. And so for a short period of time, I kept, I kept the brother accountable through email and stuff and, and, and through meetings periodically and just like, okay, Sundays are coming. What, what's, where's your outline? You know, what, where are you going with it? What's your passage and where are you going with it? Um, he, he put it off because he didn't like it. He just wasn't a good public speaker or something. When I, I sit in some seminary classes and, and, and some of the preaching classes, some people go up there and just, just, just can't preach. And I'm going... I guess you could be a pastor, but the, the primary role, if you just don't like it, just not. I'm not saying you have to be like Tony Evans or something, but there's got to be something about it where you're like, man, yes, I've got to feed. I've got to feed the flock. They're here. They're hungry. They need something. They're, they're, they're jobless. They're suffering. They're hungry. They're lost. They're this, that. I've got to feed them. This is the main way I feed them. And it's the ministry of the word of God that needs to be primary, needs to be essential it needs to be uncompromised. And a church needs to be the kind of church that refuses to let the pastor compromise that. It should please the church to see that the pastor's got that in focus, and it's got to be number one. Um, what else does it do? Option A is to, is, you know, pastor is kind of the go-to person. He does all the ministry-related things. Um, not only does it detract from the ministry of the word, but it keeps you from your proper involvement in the church. Right? If, I, if I did everything, what in the world would it be? Why would it be necessary for you all to have gifts? We don't need hands and feet and eyes and ears because it's the Lucas show. right? That's, that's, that's what would be the end of the line on that kind of option. If the pastor is doing the ministry-related stuff, that means pastor does ministry. That means I don't minister. And... That's not biblical. Um, in Ephesians 4, Paul tells the believers, he says, listen, Christ gave to the church apostles, pastors, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So the role of the teacher, the pastor, the shepherd is to equip the saints to do the work. How, do, how does a pastor equip the saints? Ministry of the word of God. But if the role is pastor studies, gives the word of God, and he does all the work of the ministry, that just cut all of you out completely out of the picture. There, there is no church. They're just spectators. And this is the church. Right? But we know that's not the model. We know that's not the model. The model is what, they're, what they espouse immediately in chap, Acts chapter 6. As soon as they hit that impasse, they solved it. They said, well, we're not going to compromise the ministry of the word. Delegate. 
And without that delegation, you guys would have no roles. I would lead every Bible study. You know, I would clean the church. I would answer all the phone calls. I would do, I would paint the, the chip paint and I would, I'd go to plumbing school and fix the toilet. I mean, I would just do, I would do everything. But we know that's not the model because if I were to do that, it wouldn't be long before my 15 hours went to 10 and 10 went to 5 and 5 went to 2 and 2 went to just go up there and just, just read a passage on the spot and just say everything. And then everyone was like, he's not preaching very well. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm doing everything else. So we, we know that's not the model. What's the other option then? The other option is to appoint qualified believers to handle other ministries in the church. Right? Look at chapter 6, verse 3 where it says what they did. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Notice they didn't say, grab any random people that aren't doing anything. And they didn't say, hand out a flyer and just whoever signs it can do it. It was a respectable enough ministry where it just not anybody's going to do it. This is, this is ministry, folks. This is ministry, and it's going to take a minister to do the job. Now, how do we pick ministers? People that are of good repute. Not people that they're in church one way and they live their lives outside of church some other way. No, people that are, are real deal disciples. Not only that, but are they full of the Spirit? Are they kind of just tired, like, ah, oh, I'm trying to worship today, but it's just so hard. Or are they full of the Spirit, like, man, I'm going through some tough stuff, but I'm I'm pressing after Jesus, I'm pressing after Him. That's full of the Spirit. You're in His his control. And not only that, but full of wisdom. I mean, if you're going to put somebody in charge of something, there's going to be problems. Now, if all those problems always go back to the pastor, why is that person there? The the middleman is not necessary if I'm going to make all the decisions. So someone has to be picked. The apostles are saying someone has to be chosen who's not only good reputation and not only a firm, striving believer full of the Spirit, but has wisdom and can make decisions. You remember Moses? He was, he was calling all the shots. And Moses' father-in-law said, come here, come here. Took him for a walk. He said, listen, you can't do it all, Moses. You're day and night from the time you get up to the time you go to bed. You're judging all these different cases. It's crazy. Oh, what do you think I should do? You need to choose people that can handle the smaller cases and then only the tough stuff goes up to you. That's kind of similar to what's happening here. It's just, it's just, it's just a mindset of, um, the, the, of the apostle has this particular task. The more we dump on his plate, the less he can do that task. Oh, how do we take things off his plate? Just stop doing them? No, the widows will die. The widows need food. The widows need the distribution. So it has to get done. It's an important thing. The apostles aren't saying it's not important. Hey, I don't care about that. Go do that on your own time. I'm a preacher. No, this is a problem. Okay, I have to continue my preaching task. So how do we do? How do we fill that void? Delegate responsible believers that can do it. Um, so you notice it's, it's not a low grade job that they don't they don't think it's worth doing. It's just not the apostles' job to do. And I also want you to take note that, you know, if there's 60 of you, I, haven't ta- I didn't take a head count this morning, but if they say there's 60 of you, that doesn't mean that me and the elders have 60 people to choose from. If a ministry needs to take place, we don't just go, well, who's, who's not doing anything? You're not doing anything? Okay, you do it. 
because maybe not everybody is this kind of person. Good reputation, on fire for God, full of wisdom. So we need these kind of people to raise up so that we can protect the ministry of the word. And if for a long time you've been a, a spiritual spectator, a church goer, I mean, you kind of watch from the sidelines, but the pastor has to be the evangelist. The pastor is the one that has to be the preacher. The pastor is the one that knows theology. Therefore, I'll never read a theology text in my life. I'll just read little things that look like the covers and, you know, an encouraging thing or something, a little coffee table type thing, but I'm never going to go deeper than that because, you know, that's the pastor's job. You'll never get to that point where you can be entrusted to take over a ministry so that the ministry of the word can be protected. I mean, it's all, we're, it's all together. If everything's dumped on the pastor, and then that cuts out people. On the pastor and the elders, look for people, and if people are just going, well, you guys do it. Well, we're never going to find people to do it. And it, just, it just goes around. And so my prayer is that we see more and more as this church grows, that we see people that come up to me and say, Pastor, here's an issue. Can, why, can I take care of that? You know, Pastor, I... I, I was just thinking this week how much, you know, I, I love the Lord. You know, I'm going through some problems. I, I love the Lord, man. I want to hear that. We're not looking for people with education. We're not looking for people that out in the world are CEOs. You know, you could just be half literate, but love the Lord. And it's like, you know what? Put him in charge. Put her in charge. Now, we need to see, we need to see that coming up. You know, sadly, the ministry of the word is kind of like, we put it out there, but we're not in charge of the growth. You know, I, I, can't, I can't stuff it into somebody and make them this on-fire person for Jesus Christ. That's, that's between you and the Spirit. But, but as we grow as a church, we, we need people. We don't want the same four or five people rotating the same four or five positions. As we grow, new small groups are going to pop up. Who's going to be our next small group leader? I can tell you right now, it's not gonna be, we're not gonna choose somebody that's kinda just, well, I don't know. I love Jesus last week, but this week I'm kinda just distracted. But we need people that, that love the Lord. We need people that when you read Acts, you're like, I wanna be that. I want my church to be that. I wanna move forward. I wanna do something. I'm tired of waiting for Lucas to address this issue. I see it. Let me do something about it. Let me try to bring a group together. Let me pray about it. Let me come up with suggestions, right? Because sometimes the pastoral task feels a little bit lonely. I'm the only guy on staff. And I have a hard time putting too much on the elders' plates because they have lives. You know, They're not paid to be full-time guys. I am. But if we can spread it out a little bit, okay, and it's not just a matter of going down the, the membership list and just pick him, pick him, pick her, pick her. It has to be people that are qualified. And that's on you guys. You know, To be the kind of people that are prayerful, the kind of people that are learning, the kind of people that are growing in wisdom, demonstrating that so that the, the leadership of the church can see it. Like, wow, this person's really growing leaps and bounds. How can we tap into that leadership? Um, and when we do that, we're protecting the ministry of the Word of God. We need to protect it by delegating others to those other areas of church ministry. Some things are necessary for the pastor to do. Um, and I, I got to lead meetings. I've got to read emails. I've got to write emails. Um, I've got to oversee ministry teams and stuff like that. That's that's just how it goes. Um, but the more that can be delegated, the better. Why? Look at verse seven. 
um, well, I'll back it up to five. Please the whole gathering. This pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and he's a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You know, a lot of those priests that were pulling the apostles into the thing and beating them, some of them got saved. This is like nobody's untouchable. The gospel can reach anybody. Your, your anti-God, atheistic uncle, it's possible. But for those kind of things to take effect, and for the disciples to multiply greatly, look at the beginning of verse 7. The word of God has to increase. Not, not the programs increased. The word of God was increased. The ministry of the word of God increased. How did it increase? Back it up to what we just read. It was protected. They protected the ministry of the word of God, and thereby the ministry of the word of God had an effect. How did they protect it? They protected it by delegating other ministry responsibilities to qualified, mature, reputable believers that were full of the Spirit. And when that happens, guys, the church grows. And I know for a long time, a long time, this church has felt kind of stuck. But also for a long time, this church has kind of moved towards Model A. I know for a fact, I know for a fact, you guys have loved and do love Pastor Dan. But I know coming in, a lot was put on the brother. A lot was put on Pastor Dan. And I don't, I don't think he ever complained. He never said anything to me. I'm talking about I came in as a new guy. And I'm like, he showed me what he does on a daily basis. I'm like, Whew. you know, a lot of non-pastoral stuff that he had to do. One time I heard a complaint about his sermons or something, maybe, you know, or something, and, I, and I'm thinking, give him time to do it. Uh, and as I've come in here, we've, there's been a little bit of a switch, right? In the beginning, I did a lot of shoveling. Then it got delegated, right? I prepared all the communion. I broke the crackers. I went to the store, bought the juice, delegated, Okay. And I'm glad that I haven't heard, like, how come you're delegating all this stuff? That's the pastor's job, and I would have taken you straight to Act 6. <laughs> That's like my back pocket verse. <laughs> I've got it in my back pocket in, like, six different translations. Um, and, and, but I, I still see, though, that while we've made this transition, there's a little bit of the lingering old model that sometimes kind of comes through, okay? Newcomers come through the door and they need to be greeted. Does the pastor need to greet them? Okay, what if we grow and this is packed out? If this is packed out, that means we have like 150 more people than we do now. Do I shake all their hands? It doesn't even work. Even if you wanted to put everything on the pastor, it doesn't even work. Now hire two extra pastors so that a pastor shakes everybody's hand. You shake their hands. Right? You guys greet them. We're not trying to win people to Pastor Lucas. We're trying to win people to Christian Fellowship Church. And if they were greeted, 
And if they did see smiles, and if they were asked about, and they were followed up with, it doesn't necessarily have to be the pastor that did it. If I get to get to one of them, that's a bonus. But if the church is doing the work, then I can focus on the ministry of the word of God. But the ministries are still happening. And that's how the church will grow. If 20 years from now, we still in our hearts and minds are kind of sitting back, waiting to see when Lucas is going to do something awesome enough to grow the church. 20 years from now, it's going to be this small or smaller. The church will not grow if it's a one-man show. And I'm not saying it's a full one-man show. In fact, I want to commend you guys on a couple things. One, the, the vote that we had for the city. Now, some of this is going to be lost on you. And people listening in cyberspace or whatever, they don't know what was going on. But for the insiders, this whole synod thing, I know that on a lot of your hearts and minds, you saw the toll the whole synod situation was taking on me, how it was robbing my energy, robbing my time, and I know that affected the vote. And I appreciate it. I'll never forget that. Other thing I think of is you guys are sending me to school so far fully paid, voted by the members, me and Tina went downstairs and we didn't have, you know, I mean, it, and it, it's not just that it's appreciated by me. It's that I look at the word of God and I'm like, that's that they say he's a minister of the word of God. This is going to help him do that better. Let's send him. You know, that's awesome. So I see that the model is the model switching. The model, it's working. And I think there's there's, you know, we're, we're kind of we're gaining momentum for the growth of the church, but it's a, good, it's a good time to remind ourselves of the passage like this, that that's what the focus needs to be. The, the, the focus needs to be, if we're going to send mailers out, the pastor's not going to lick all the envelopes and address all the envelopes and walk them and put, hang them on every door. You know, this has to be a church, a church thing, and, and things need to be delegated. And we need people to raise up, rise up to the level where they can be delegated. So if you're kind of like a half-hearted Christian that just kind of sits on the side, you know, step it up. What, what, what are you waiting for? And many of you have people in your lives that you so admire. You so admire Al because he visited you and, oh, that's so great. You so admire Pastor Dan and it breaks your heart that he's going through the things right now. What if you take the torch? What if you stop admiring and looking at pastors and waiting for pastors to come and take the torch and do ministry? You realize one switch that happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that the function of the priest was eliminated. You know, back then they would all come to the temple and give their animals to the priest and give their tithes to the priest. And the priest would lead the worship and the priest would do the sacrifices and the priest would take care of the temple and the priest would, you know, circumcise the children and the priest would do everything. And only the priest, the high priest, was allowed to go behind that veil. You know, that in the inner, in the innermost room of the temple, only the priest was allowed to go behind there. The people had to take it to the priest. The priest had to take it to God. And then the priest would do the reverse. Take the, anoint, the atonement from God and say, yes, you are now atoned. And were, he's the go-between. Well, that's why in Hebrews it says, now Jesus is the perfect high priest. That means Jesus is the go-between for all of us. That makes all of us priests. We can all go into the most holy place. We can just pray and talk to God. And you can come out of your own quiet room assured of forgiveness. That's amazing. If you told a Jew that, you know, 5,000 years ago, they'd be like, what? Yeah, I can go in my own room and, and I don't have to kill anything or do it. It's because of Jesus. 
That means there's this phrase that the Bible uses, the priesthood of all believers. That means you all are saints. You all have gifts and you all are responsible for ministry. And as a church, we want to see more growth in that regard. Um, See people that we can call upon to do various ministries so we can protect protect the ministry of the word of God. Um, If you think about like a basketball team and imagine the basketball team goes to the coach and they're like, coach, you just sit there. You're getting fat. Right. You're getting old. You look lazy. When's the last time you even shot a basket? Stop with the clipboard and the pen. I know that's necessary, but just put it aside and hey, get to work. You know, get on the court. Why don't you bring the ball down for a couple plays? Why don't you hang out in the paint and get a couple rebounds? You're always talking about it all the time. Go do it. And the coach is like feeling guilty and there's pressure. And, you know, the NBA commissioner is like, well, they have a point there. And you're like, well, and he puts on a jersey and he plays. Now, you and I know that that, that's ludicrous. His job is important. He's got to watch what's going on in the court. He's got to make sure the plays are being executed. He's got to know that when the next huddle happens, he's got something written out to give him on the clipboard. Hey, that was a good play. Now, here's what we're going to do next. Okay, now the, the, the pastor is not saying that those other ministries are unimportant. It's the reverse. He's saying those things are so important that you guys need to do them. And to prep you, equip you to be able to do it, I've got to teach the word of God. That's why it's important to come to church. That's why it's important to go to small group. The small group is taking the word that was teach, taught, taught, preached, and like massaged in the application. Like, hey, this is how you're going to live it now. Um, so I'll close with this. Um, I know you guys don't want a pastor show, a one-man kind of thing. You, you want a team that you can be a meaningful part of. And I'm saying we're recruiting, right? I want you. But we want to see people rise up to the level, the, the quality of believer that's needed so that we can delegate appropriately and not delegate out of panic, not delegate because, well, this person really isn't qualified for it, but what else are we going to do? Because that's not right either. You need me to focus on the ministry of the word as, po- as much as possible. And the church needs you to strive to be the kind of believer that can be called upon so that we can protect the ministry of the word. Let's pray. Father, as we look at a passage like this, it's really easy to... Um, get a little squirmish for me because uh, it sounds like I'm just trying to defend the way I think uh, church should be. Uh, But Lord, I pray that all of us would try to base what we believe about church on your word. Uh, And because your word is central. And Lord, without your word, we wouldn't know who you were or what you were like, what you expected of us. So we ask that as we focus on the ministry of your word, uh, as we Help the elders and the pastor to protect that ministry and to spend time in it to do it well. Um, We ask that you would raise up believers in this church that are more and more um, that can responsibly take over ministries that are crucial, ministries that are necessary, 
ministries that touch people's lives and hearts and, and help us be the church that we're supposed to be. And we ask that you would, um, that your spirit would do that. Um, those in here who feel a little bit half-hearted, feel a little bit tired, feel maybe uh, not equal to the task, maybe someone else should do it because I'm not good enough. Father, we pray that you would give them the grace and the insight uh, to understand that ministry is based on grace. And if we're passionately pursuing you and growing in our understanding of life and wisdom and, and how to live your word, um, Lord, may you uh, increase uh, the productivity of this church, not because we sent a bunch of stuff in the mail, and not because um, we hired some new employees or pastors, but but because believers in this church decided to step up and be delegated to. And um, we ask that you would cause us that kind of growth, growth in the right way, so that we can honor you in all that we do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.